Yeah, let's be in let's outer space. That's the idea. <laughs> with bunnies. Um, with bunnies, maybe a rabbit astronaut flying to Mars, um, and you can start visualizing all of those things um, almost immediately. And to do that, all we have to do is just type that into the prompt. You just type it into the prompt. Welcome to this special double episode of Ask More of AI, the podcast at the intersection of business and AI. Today, we have two amazing guests. First is John Samorjai. He's the founder of Salesforce Ventures, one of the largest enterprise software investors in the world. And then we're going to hear from one of his portfolio company CEOs, Cristobal Valenzuela, who is the founder and CEO of Runway ML. Of course, they're one of the companies behind Stable Diffusion, and they just released an amazing new video gen model. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's it's really so tremendous to talk to you. You've been at the company now for almost 19 years. You started in M&A, you lead M&A, and also you're the founder of Salesforce Ventures. That's right. That's right. And thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. Well, it's great to work with you every day. And it's it's exciting to talk about your amazing work with the rest of the world. Yeah, terrific. So you joined the company on the M&A side. And the company, we, we bought a, a number of companies. Can you talk about how that's gone, and specifically in AI, what we've done. Sure. Well, we've acquired now uh, a little over 80 companies uh, over the years, and uh, roughly a dozen of those have been AI-focused. And the goal of, the, of, of M&A is really to marry our inorganic innovation with our organic innovation and help the company you know, create more products faster for our customers and, and really bring all that innovation to, to our customers as quickly as possible. Um, on the AI side, a few examples of the companies that we acquired were um, RelateIQ, uh, Bonobo, which is Conversational Insights. Um, we acquired uh, Richard Socher's MetaMind, uh, which really became our um, the the beginnings of our our research team on artificial intelligence. Yes, and we had him on the podcast. Uh, it's I, and I listened to that podcast. It's terrific, and um, I learned a lot from it. Uh, and Richard is just a wonderful person to work with. When he left Salesforce, by the way, we invested in his uh, his startup U.com. But um, but anyway, we we and then we we recently acquired a generative AI company, AirKit. But over the years, we've acquired tremendous talent from this group of AI companies, and we now have hundreds of people that are experts in artificial intelligence that are part of our research team. And we leverage them on diligence that we do for any investment that we're looking at or any acquisition that we're looking at. I think it's such an asset. And I, we were talking about this earlier. It's really fun just being a former founder myself, working with so many entrepreneurs across the company. And I, I really think it helps keep our culture very entrepreneurial. Absolutely. And that's another great advantage of, you know, when you think about you're, you're not when you're buying a company, you're also buying talent. And one of the things I'm really proud of is all the incredible talent we've brought into Salesforce through M&A, uh, many of whom have risen to become leaders at the company, uh, including David Schmeier, who's our chief product officer, as an example. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, so there's all this activity on the M&A front. We've bought a number of AI startups. I also think some of the, the really big non-AI companies that your team bought, Tableau, MuleSoft, Slack, they're really coming in handy now in this generative AI era, right? On the UI front, all the connectors bringing the data in from across an enterprise, being right. able to visualize all of that data. Right. And, you know, when you think about all these generative AI companies 
and how they intersect with Slack. And many of them are built on Slack. You know, Anthropics, Claude, uh, for example, yes. is, you know, runs really, really nicely in Slack. And so you see uh, the new startups are really relying on this technology as well. Uh, so that's been terrific. We also bought uh, some very exciting technologies in marketing and commerce. So um, the marketing cloud and commerce cloud are, are really a result of a series of acquisitions we did, most notably Exact Target uh, back in 2013 and Demandware in 2016. It just really such foresight back then. There was a reason back then, but now it's just become even more valuable in this new AI era. Yes, for sure. For sure. So, so you joined the company um, in the early 2000s. At, yeah. at, in 2009, there's a decision to potentially start a venture arm of Salesforce. Can you, can you tell us that story and of how that happened? Sure. So it was the middle of the financial crisis. And uh, we were talking about it towards the end of 2008. Um, we had so many partners that were unable to raise funding. And there was a risk that they were going to run out of money. So these are app and exchange partners. App exchange partners. And and as you um, know from your background with the app exchange, we created this, this um, incredible ecosystem of partners around Salesforce that would tightly integrate with all of our products and operate globally. And uh, it was really important for the company's growth and for our customers to be able to find solutions wherever they are um, and whatever they needed, all pre-integrated with Salesforce. But these companies were having a very hard time raising money. And so what we decided we, we should do, uh, working with Mark, is create a venture arm that would fund our partners and where we in many ways could become, you know, we were like the anchor tenant of the round yeah. and help them pull together a round of, of um, investors. And, you know, some examples of that era, and it, it, it's hard to believe, but DocuSign was a company that we invested in their Series wow. B. And it, had we not done that, you know, that was a company that, you know, they were struggling to raise funding. And it's hard to think of that now, um, given all their success over the years. But back in you know 2008, it was a very grim time. And uh, a lot of companies were wondering, you know, how can we keep things going? And so we invested in Box, in HubSpot, in DocuSign, in a number of SI companies. Aperio was, was, uh, was a, a notable success there. And um, and it was, uh, and it really took off from there. And what we realized is that we have um, we have a few advantages as investors. One of them is we really understand what our customers are looking for. We we listen to them and know we we see the buying signals and have a very good sense of what are the types of companies they would want to to buy from. Um, we also have all this in-house expertise. Uh, that understands software and understands enterprise software in particular and how to um, create uh, the best products for the cloud that are secure, that are reliable um, and uh, and scalable. And so we, we leverage all of our employees um, with this expertise to really help us um, make better investment decisions. It's really special. And I can attest to it, having been on both sides of the table now, right? You know, having been a founder... That, who raised money from Salesforce Ventures, I really felt like the team was very hands-on and helpful. And now being at Salesforce, getting to work with these amazing startups every day uh, that your team brings in. Absolutely. So could you have imagined 14 years ago that you know this, this fund you were starting to help hold a lot of our partners over and get them through this tough economic time, that it would become one of the, if not the preeminent 
B2B software venture capital arm? Uh, it's at the time, uh, no, at the time, you know, we were just trying to keep our ecosystem alive and uh, in a very, very challenging financial uh, market. Um, but then, you know, really the world changed and the cloud started to uh, really take off. Enterprises realized that they could run their companies more efficiently um, and save money by moving more of their systems to the cloud. And so, uh, not just Salesforce, but all these companies that grew up around us um, really benefited from the changes in the industry. And so where we are today, uh, we've invested in over 550 companies. How much capital deployed? Do we, we share those we've, numbers? Uh, we've deployed over $5 billion in capital. Uh, we have had 33 IPOs. Wow. Um, over 150 of our companies have been acquired. Incredible. And and how large is the Ventures team, and, and is it geographically dispersed? Um, it will surprise you that the, the team is actually only 33 people in total. Very efficient. And that includes, uh, that includes our operations team as well. And so uh, we have offices in San Francisco, in um, New York, in uh, Tokyo, and in London. And, uh, and our team is really, um, they are very efficient, but they also have the ability to leverage uh, the power of Salesforce and to uh, meet with, you know, experts like yourself and get, get your take on companies that we're looking at and, and, uh, and your assessment if they make sense or not. It's one of the most fun parts of my job is getting to work with you and your team. <laughs> and I think that um, uh, other executives feel the same way, too, because it also gives them a, w a window into the innovation that's happening in the industry. And so I think everyone that, that participates in the process really learns from it. Yeah. So recently, you launched a $500 million generative AI-focused fund. Can you talk about that? Right. Um, super excited about this. And I think that uh, generative AI is one of the most transformative technologies that we've seen in a long time in, in our industry. And when it, it, um, you really started to see um, interesting business models take off with this technology, that's when we started thinking about, wow, we, we want to be at the forefront of deploying capital into this industry and make sure that we're getting into the, the best companies. And also building an ecosystem of partners around all of our AI efforts that, that we're doing internally. And so um, we announced a $250 million fund at the beginning of March. And we very quickly ran through that that funding, and so we decided to double down, and uh, and now it's a five hundred million dollar fund, and we've invested in some amazing companies. And you really have invested across the tech stack. I mean, let's even just start with the model layer. Uh, can you talk about the companies you've invested there? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll give you three examples. So Anthropic uh, is one. We we talked about the Claude mo model. Um, they are are really emerging as one of the most trusted generative AI general foundational models. And um, and so, you know, what, when we think about, by the way, all of our investments in this category, we want to make sure that they f um, follow our values around developing responsible AI, mm. uh, because trust is so important. And there's a lot of fear about this technology and what it can do. And so 
uh, we've really applied the values and the ethics and the way that Salesforce thinks about it and approaches AI to our investment philosophy here. And so Anthropic was a company that had a, a, a philosophy around constitutional AI, yes. where they really think deeply about what is the, the humane use of this technology in everything that they do. And so um, that fit really nicely into our our thesis. And also we've been able to partner with them very closely with our AI technologies, as you know. Um, Cohere was the next one, which was more focused on the enterprise use case. And they they build specific um, enterprise foundational models for companies. Um, and then Hugging Face was one that we led the round actually in, in August, um, which is the largest open source uh, repository for models and growing incredibly quickly. And so those are the three that, um, you know, we're, we're super excited about. And those are all, they, they play such key roles in our open ecosystem and hugging and hugging face in particular is a community where our own research team has been open sourcing models for years. Yeah. And, and then now it's neat to see customers uh, just giving customers more choice in their models. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so that's the model layer. We've also invested in applications. Can you talk about some of those? Right. Well, I'll I'll give you a few examples there. I think um, you're you're about to talk with Cristobal from Runway. Yes. So I won't uh, I won't go too much into that. And I'll ask but, you about him in just a moment. But I think you know that's that's at the text to uh, video uh, application layer, and uh, super exciting what they're doing. Um, we invested in a company called Typeface, and we led that round back in June. Typeface is a close partner with our marketing cloud. And what they do is um, enable a marketer to have a contextualized image that's personalized for the advertisement uh, that really preserves all the brand integrity of their uh, of their company when the image is displayed. And, and you can talk to the image, you can um, add things, change things, um, but in every, every time you do it, the brand is always preserved. And the, the way that the company you know, cares about uh, how that brand looks and how it will be generated to the user is really important. And so uh, they do that in a very unique way and, uh, and it's, it's so fast and saves a marketer so much time that, you know, that was really impressive when we, when we saw them. This, the, the CEO of that company, by the way, was the former CTO of Adobe. Abe. And, and yes, exactly. And so he really understands this space deeply. Um, and that's, and by the way, you know, a big part of, of when we make our investment decisions are based on the leadership and their, their expertise, their talent, um, their qualities and things like that. And so great example of a very strong leader. Um, another another uh, deal that was recently announced uh, was our first generative AI um, investment in the UK in a company called Auto, Autogen AI. And what they do is they take the very, very complicated RFP and bidding process and they help you automate that. And so that you can, you know, generate a document that might be a hundred pages for an RFP that looks at um, that looks contextually at what were your successful bids that you've done in the past. Oh, that's so smart. And what has this agency, you know, what are they most likely to respond to? Yeah. And then they um they create that that RFP and that bid really, really fast. 
And so it saves the writer so much time. Oh, my gosh. Those are so time-consuming. Nobody likes doing that. And what all of these uh, companies have in common is how much productivity they add back to the company. And, and and, you know, if you think about that, um, AI is – McKinsey has the stat that AI is going to save $4 trillion every year for companies. It's an enormous – productivity uplift. Yes. And and that's why I think, you know, these these companies are really on the cusp of of, of just breaking through and um, and becoming very very successful large businesses because when you can drive that much efficiency to a business, who's going to not want to buy it? It's really remarkable, isn't it? It's all happening so fast. Um, you mentioned earlier bringing our values to to our investment. I I'd love to hear about how we're doing that. I know, I know you, your team lives this every day, but just to talk about for our audience, how we're bringing our values to these investments. Sure. Well, I, I think one of the most, um, one of the greatest things about Salesforce is how much we value giving back, um, to the company. I think it's a really key part of our culture from when we started the company with the one, one, one model where, um, 1% of employee time is donated to volunteerism. We give 1% of our product away for free. And then most importantly, we set aside 1% of our equity into a 501c3 foundation, which has now been able to give away you know, over $700 million in grants. Wow. And so um, you can just see the incredible impact that has on philanthropy. So we've brought that to our portfolio. We have now more than 200 companies that have adopted the 111 model. And and so they're building on the success that Salesforce has had here and uh, helping their communities in all these ways. Um, another example is our focus on equality and diversity and inclusion. And we have um, now 55 founders in our portfolio, I think it's of, who are female. And I think it's one of the largest portfolio of female founders in the world. Well, it's got to be. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 And so uh, and then we also invest in many, many underrepresented minority founders. We funded the Black Venture Institute, which trains um, new black venture capitalists uh, on um, investment philosophies, investment best practices and things like that. And so I think everything we we do with our values internally, we really try to bring that to bear in the companies that we're working with and also make sure that the founders share our values, too. It's just such a way, powerful way to, to scale our company values, and you know, all, it reminds me of what Mark always says about how business is the most powerful platform for change. Absolutely, yeah. So we're we're about to have Crystal Ball from Runway ML come on, as you mentioned. What drew you to this company and, and made your team want to invest? So um, Crystal Ball is an incredible entrepreneur, and he and his team um, created the, by the way, the stable diffusion um, model, and. They are um, really at the forefront of thinking how to apply generative AI to video and um, visual effects. And uh, we were really blown away by their demo when we saw it. Did it have visual effects? (laughs) Very strong visual effects (laughs) that you can basically just talk to and create by typing uh, with a machine. And... um, and just the creativity that that can unleash. And you can see how much money it would save in video editing. Um, and for anyone that's that's doing um, video advertising, movies, television, um, very, very powerful use case for generative AI and how much productivity it can add. It's just incredible. Um, so, I mean, you've had this 
remarkable career. And I think a lot of people like associate you with with just so much innovation in B2B software. What was your background? Were there early experiences that led you to doing what you're doing today? Um, well, I started as a chemistry major, which was one of uh, one of I think uh, the the interesting thing is about my background. I my father's a professor of chemistry, and I grew up around chemists. And I think when you're um, tinkering in science labs. Uh, I think that definitely gets your creative uh, juices flowing quite a bit. And so that was my early training. Um, strangely, I switched to law. And uh, and midway, I decided to go to law school and become an attorney and try to apply a lot of that creativity to M&A. And I was an M&A attorney and, um, and realized uh, that I much prefer the strategic part of the of the job. Um, I much prefer thinking about what are the right companies to acquire, um, and then and then how do you put them together? And it's like you know when you do M and A integration, it's it's like a bit of a puzzle. And how do you take the best of both companies and marry them together and something, hopefully something better will come out of it's it. It's like a formula, you know, it and is, there's a reaction. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's a great way. To, so I do think like that scientific background really played a role in everything that I've, I've done. I did not know that. Well, I'm sure you would have made an amazing chemist, a wonderful lawyer, but I'm really glad that you you chose to, to keep going. And, and um, it's, it's amazing to partner with you. Thank you for everything that you and your team are doing. Thank you. It's so great to work with you and appreciate the time today. Chris, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me here. So um, I, I want to talk about Runway, but first I, I know Stable Diffusion, right, which is such a pioneer in um, in in multimodal models, um, that was a collaboration that you were a part of, along with Stability AI and LMU in in Germany. Can you talk about how how that came to be? How did you guys meet each other, and what did each of the companies contribute? Totally, uh, yeah. Uh, Stable Diffusion has um, 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 an interesting uh, story and and origins. It was. Uh, Originally, a paper and a work and a research collaboration between Runway and the University of LMU in Munich, um, who published the code, the work, and released the models almost like two years ago. Uh, since then, we've uh, constantly improved it and uh, changed it and modified it to make it even better, mostly improving the quality and the resolution of the images that you can generate with text. Um, around a year ago, uh, we got a compute donation from another company uh, and used that compute donation to um, improve the quality of the model. And that was uh, the origins of uh, stable diffusion. Um, but it's, it's a model that's been out for now a couple of months and I think has completely changed the landscape of, um, of AI. And we're very grateful to be part of that, that initial collaboration and that the research and the model that I think changed a lot of things and has continued to change a lot of things. So what, what what do you think it was about that that paper that was so unique and, and really allowed stable diffusion to take off the way that it has? Um, there are a few innovations in the paper uh, that were transformative in the way um, image had always been kind of like approach and uh, how the challenge of generating images with diffusion model was tackled before. Um, it's built still on the shoulders of giants and a lot of other research communities who've been experimenting and exploring with the idea of uh, reducing the size and the time it takes uh, to be more effective and, and creating high-quality images. I think since the release of the paper, there's been a lot of improvements on both the speed uh, at which you can generate, but also the quality. Um, I think that paper in particular, which is actually called 
high-resolution image synthesis with latent diffusion models, um, uh, short is latent diffusion, and then eventually stable diffusion, um, had a few interesting things. Primarily, I think the most interesting one was this idea of uh, using a latent space to generate the pixels uh, of an image and then growing from there. I think that the main impact, though, was I think the open source version of it and the ability for people to tune it or modify it or work on top of it. I think that definitely changed, changed the game. And for our business audience, can you describe what a latent space is and, and how you're using it to generate pixels? Sure. Um, a latent space is a, a multi-dimensional space that's been like reduced or simplified. Um, so it allows you to have a representation of a much larger space and you can move across that space. Um, and the benefits of that is that you don't have to move in a much more highly dimensional space. And so it's sometimes uh, easier. It, there's some compression around it, but... Um, it's a way of, of, of most models, uh, more models these days have latent representations that are easier for, are more um, interesting or more, I guess, um, beneficial for generating, for example, images these days. Yeah, as well as language, right? It's it's this ability to collapse right. into a fewer lower dimension vector space to generate all kinds of things. And um, also for our audience, could you could you talk about you know how how our large language models different from a, a diffusion model, for example? And why would you use the latter for images? Yeah, I mean, there, there are different techniques. Uh, uh, these days, language models are mostly based on transformers. Uh, video models and image models are mostly based on um, diffusion. Before diffusion, we had GANs. Before GANs, we had other techniques for image generation. Um, although I think those things are kind of converging these days. There's vision transformers, so there's ways of using, uh, like, the, the core backbone of a language model also to drive uh, a generation of an image or a video. Um, diffusion is mostly now can also be used to visualize that representation. I think we're early on, I would say, on the stages of uh, understanding how to um, really make the best type of uh, outputs of uh, both multimodal systems. And sometimes there's no one single answer of like only by using a transformers architecture or an diffusion architecture you achieve what you, you need to achieve. Sometimes it's combining those and making sure that you can work with a multi-approach multi stage or using different models and mixing them to get the results that you want. Uh, but diffusions tend to be like, the, I would say, the state of the art these days on, on pixel generation. It's just so interesting. So stable diffusion focuses on images. Now, Runway, you, you have moved on to video. And talk about the new challenges that video presents relative to static images and talk about your new models. Totally. Um, so Runway has always been a company devoted to storytelling and creativity. And so if you think about the the goal of expressing an idea or telling a story, um, you need to understand it from a perspective of a, of a multi-sensorial um, um, kind of like approach. Um, and so building multi-models has always been at the core of what we do. We're trying not only to create the best possible models for both image and video, but create the best possible models for every domain that would allow you to take some idea that you have in your head and express it in the most effective way possible. And so we started with uh, with image at the beginning, and so we've published and made some great advancements in both research and product to make sure those models are usable, reliable, safe, and of course, the best quality possible. And now we're moving to video. We released only a couple of months ago our first iteration of our video diffusion models, Gen 1. Uh, we now release Gen 2. Uh, we've now released Gen 2.1, which is a major improvement on the quality these are models that are um, going beyond single frames, which is images, to continuous frames to create 
uh, consistent video up to close to 20 seconds of videos you can you can generate of basically anything also in high definition so we have models at uh, uh, 1k and 2k um, and that would only continue to 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 increase now the challenge on the video side uh, it's not only the ability for you to prompt or generate an image it's also the ability for you to consistently control how objects are moving within that, that video. And so that's a new set of research problems that had to do a lot with uh, user experience and, and, and the primitives that you can create an event to come out with uh, ways of controlling these models in a, in a great way. Can you share more about how, how you're cracking the code on that? Um, it's a, you know, it's a very interesting uh, uh, challenge because these are things that have never been done before. And so if you take the examples of how we thought about media for the last 30, 40 years, you've, uh, we've come to realize that we're building assumptions and metaphors of creative software based on analog um, kind of like ideas. And so the camera has been the way we've uh, worked and manipulated videos and films. Now, um, using something like a journey model or a multimodal system to generate video, audio, text, and images might not fit really well with traditional uh, paradigms or metaphors of how you manipulate this, the, the outputs of these videos and these models. And so you need to come up with completely new set of uh, ideas, um, generating frames, like for example, prompts. Um, I'm not a huge fan of using uh, language to drive a video. And the reason for that is that trying to tell a story, even if it's just five seconds, using a prompt, it's extremely hard. It's specifically as you have a lot of movements and objects and occlusions and subjects and actions, you need a much more nuanced, a much more detailed interface or ways of controlling the models. And so we're working towards making sure that that happens. And, and the way we tackle that is by actually having filmmakers work alongside the research team. And so we have, we have filmmakers and producers and people who have been working in Hollywood for years sitting right next to someone who's inventing a new set of research models. And that creates the, the right, I would say, um, ideas and, and incentives to, to build these new tools. So that collaboration with the end user who really understands the, the domain and what good looks like in the finished product. Exactly. And so we have a production company within the company uh, that sits right next to our research team and helps them figure out the right things that need to be figured out when it comes to interface design and research design and how to train the models effectively to not only create the most um, compelling and high quality uh, pixels, but also to have them be very expressible. Like... We're building tools for for storytelling, for uh, for for media, for film. Being able to control your tools becomes uh, a requirement um, in any art form. And so, for us, is kind of an obvious and much needed approach to build the right the right things. And, and the, your tools have been used in prime time. I mean, one of my favorite movies, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uses Runway ML. Can you can you talk us through? The, the process of partnering with with the team and, and what you did? Totally. Um, so yeah, we have uh, around 30 different tools for not only video generation, but uh, things adjacent to uh, filmmaking. So for example, rotoscoping, which is a, a very baseline and fundamental aspect of video that used to take uh, filmmakers hours and sometimes even days or weeks to make, can now be almost fully automated or simplified with uh, tools and models we have in Runway. And so the interesting thing about uh, that movie is that um, the editing team and the uh, BFX and visual effects team behind the, 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 the movie was only made of seven people. And those seven people got together to make something so amazing uh, and so unique and so beautiful that 
I mean, they won seven Oscars um, uh, as, a, as a result of that. And they were very, uh, I guess, uh, smart about how to optimize parts of that process of editing and making the film by using tools like Runway. So they use um, a tool we have called Green Screen that does uh, automatic video segmentation um, or rotoscoping. And they were managed they, they managed to save themselves a lot of time by automating those tasks and following a much more convenient approach to storytelling, which is you don't spend time doing this very repetitive things or very uh, boring or um, 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 tedious task. And you focus right now primarily on like executing your story and making sure you can you can you can edit it as fast as you can. Um, so they've uh, they've used it, and now they are some of the editors in that film, and and the people who work now are using it almost almost in every, any other project um, they've been working on. What did you learn from that project? You know, I think that's for me is a, a a sign of what's to come with uh, when it when it when it comes to um, what it means to make great stuff, great stories, great art, great films. It's not that you're constrained because of the tools or the budgets. Uh, it's a low-budget movie that made um, a complete um, impact in uh, in a lot of uh, not only like festivals, but it's a, it's a, it's a favorite of a lot of people. And I think that demonstrates that uh, with the best tools and with the best AI tools these days, you can make things that used to take companies and people hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars and a lot of people to make. Um, and uh, the fact that seven people edited that film, it's a great representation of what's coming next, where we're probably gonna go where uh, to a moment in time where um, someone, uh, a singular person is gonna win a, a, an Oscar or Academy Award for making and editing and shooting an entire movie. Um, and I think that's that's great. We're gonna start hearing from people we've never heard of before. I think we have a saying at Runway that we keep repeating, it's kind of like a mantra of ours now, which is the best movies are yet to be made. The best stories are yet to be told. And that's because these tools are going to make storytelling much more convenient for uh, everyone else. That's so interesting. So you're saying we can take this recording that we're doing right now of this video podcast and run it through Runway. And I can type in a prompt like um, have a have a frog jump out of Chris's mouth and it'll just work. Um, it will. I mean, eventually it will work like that. Um, right now, um, you can prompt it and you can generate videos that will get you uh, very close to that. Um, and so if you want to, for example, generate B-roll, uh, I can speak about, let's, if you want to speak about animals like frogs or uh, peacocks or dogs or bears or penguins, like all of everything you want to generate and all combination of animals you want to see, you can just generate them and have consistent video being generated about them in all sorts of styles or combinations and then control is exactly, I guess, the next stage, which is exactly what you're saying, which is great. It can generate a frog, a very colorful one, an amazing one, a great shot with a macro zoom, exactly what I wanted. But now I want the frog to stand or to jump or to do X, Y, or C. Um, you are going to be able to do it very soon. Um, and that's kind of like the next stage of control that we're speaking before. Okay. So now, so just so I, I don't I, I don't know what B-roll necessarily means. So I, I actually want to take this. I, I, I seriously want us to do this, right? We're going to take this recording. <laughs> we're going to run it through runway and you can say I can have animals in the background or I can change your background. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, or generate any type of video. So yeah, we can use the, the, the examples of the list of animals that it just uh, gave you or anything at all. You can have a dog like flying in the space or an astronaut cod or wh whatever you want. Let's do and, all of the uh, things. We'll generate for you. Yeah. Let's be in let's outer space. It. That's the idea. <laughs> With bunnies. Um, with bunnies, maybe a rabbit astronaut flying to Mars, um, and you can start visualizing all of those things um, almost immediately. And to do that, all we have to do is just type that into the prompt. 
you just type it into the prompt. Or maybe you have a drawing maybe you made and you you can not only type it, but you can use that image as the baseline, as the starting point. And so you start with an image. You don't have even to like prompt. You can start with a real image as well of something you've actually seen the saw in the real world. And the video can be created from scratch. It can also be overlaid onto an existing video like the one we're recording now. Exactly. So uh, we can do, and this is great for control. Um, there's this idea of video to video. So uh, most people have heard about text to video or text to image. We're talking about civil diffusion. That's a text to image uh, or mostly used as a text to image model. But uh, we've pioneered this idea of video to video. So video to video is like, we're this is video, we're recording video. Um, I can like clap my fingers like this and turn myself into any world that I want. Um, and I'm using the structure and the consistency and the, and the depth and the camera angles of the existing video to turn myself into something else. And so people are using this to create worlds. Um, and so you can flip or move or travel across infinite sets of worlds just by using the original video uh, as a driving source and a prompt or an image as a reference guide. So interesting. How So you grew up in Chile and you did your graduate yes. work at NYU. How did you end up in this space? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a passion I've been uh, working on and thinking about almost for the last eight years. Uh, I grew up in Chile. Uh, I studied a bunch of different things, but I always had a soft spot for engineering and art. And I came to NYU to study exactly that eight years ago. Um, I saw something was happening in uh, deep learning at the time. Uh, there was a lot of breakthroughs. Uh, nothing, no one was really thinking about the idea of taking this uh, algorithms or models into an artistic environment or artistic context or thinking about creative tools. And so that's what we started building with my co-founders at school. Um, and Run was actually our, our work uh, initially at school that we started as a company five years ago. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's the tools we've always wanted to build. Uh, we also uh, consider ourselves like artists and have uh, had an artistic practice. And so it's very much like an obvious thing for us to like think about and do and we, I think always like the company didn't, we didn't found the company, I think the company founded us. Um, and this is like the only thing we know, we know how to do. That is just incredible. Um, so you talked earlier about just the incredible efficiency and productivity gains that you've seen production teams go through. And in parallel, right, we've, we've just watched what's happened in Hollywood with the strikes. What do you think this means for the future of jobs and, and what should business leaders and creative leaders be doing now to prepare society for that future? Yeah, um, and that's something I've been um, having a lot of conversations with these days with people within Hollywood and the media space, spending a lot of time uh, helping them understand the magnitude of the change. And you know, the, the, the metaphor I always come back to that I think perfectly encapsulates, I think the magnitude of what's coming is to think about AI as a new kind of camera. The camera 150 years ago changed everything. It changed art, but it also changed entire economies. Uh, entire uh, cities were born just because of the idea of using a camera to record life. Uh, shows, movies, series, everything was born out of like a very interesting, unique technical advancement uh, that was allowing us to capture light within a, a device, right? Uh, an optical device. This for us um, feels like a new camera. We are opening the doors for a completely new form of art that's gonna create an entire new form of uh, storytelling. Um, the camera created the seventh art, a new form of art, cinema is a new art. We're heading to a world where AI will be a new form of art and that will change radically how we think about media and how we think about stories and how we think about 
um, art in general. And so I think the best um, state of mind to be in these days is to embrace that new tool, the new camera, and to really understand that exactly as a camera, you're not going to become a filmmaker just by having one. In the same way that you're not a writer, if you just have a pen or you're, you're not a, a painter just by having a, a brush, it requires an understanding of the craft. It requires an understanding of how you use it to tell a story. And the tool becomes uh, an augmentation of that. And that's what we speak a lot about augmenting a creative process and not replacing it. Um, and I think that's kind of what really our, our mission at Runway as artists ourselves is to help people understand how to use the new, this new brush, how to use this new tool, this new camera to make amazing, amazing things. And again, it's year zero. So we're still really early on on, on, on driving that conversation. How do you find time and space yourself to be creative? Um, I think building the company has been my creative uh, uh, kind of like space, to be honest. I, I used to think of myself uh, as uh, I'll, I'll pursue a career in art and, and do something different. But um, um, it's much more rewarding these days to um, just be creative uh, in, in a, what I do in, in Runway. I think creativity is a state of mind. I think uh, we normally associate creativity with an artistic practice, with people painting, right? But you can be creative doing anything you do. I mean, soccer players can be creative. And the best soccer players are really creative because they think about the game in a way that no one else thinks about. Um, and so really, creativity for me is a state of mind, is a way of looking at the world. And when you have tools like Runway, uh, these tools can help you look at the world in a much more creative way. So a question I always ask our guests is, in this changing world, how should we be educating the next generation, our, our children, differently so that they, they're prepared to be as creative, as productive, as fulfilled as possible? I think um, that's, a, I mean, that's a, always a um, relevant question when uh, we speak about change and technology. Um, I think being very specific and um, optimistic about change, uh, it's a great way of having a great mindset to have in general. Uh, we're living through a magnitude of change that I think we haven't seen in a long time and things are starting to accelerate even faster. And so one thing that's something that's always tricky for everyone to really adjust is getting used to that change. Getting used to change is very hard because we as humans always try to rely on things that we know. And so uh, we, we actually have a lot of programs in Runway that work alongside film studios and uh, universities and schools and high schools and um, kind of like helping teach this next generation of uh, students and artists and filmmakers and, um, um, and creatives how to benefit from this and how to use it, not in a way that um, that feels, um, uh, in a way that augments them and, and creates them like um, a sort of possible feedback loops. And so I think by investigating, asking the right question, having literacy around how the technology works, we're going to make that that's great step forward. Well, Chris, thank you so much for all of your amazing contributions to the field of AI and, and to making the world a more creative place. Um, we're, so, we're so proud to be an investor in your company, and I can't wait to see those movies that are yet to be made. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I'm excited for the future as well. Thank you for inviting me. What an amazing jam-packed episode. Three takeaways for me. Number one, Salesforce Ventures was founded in 2009. Initially, it was meant to hold over our AppExchange ISV partners who were struggling through difficult economic times. It's since become a $5 billion, one of the most successful enterprise software venture capital endeavors ever. Number two, Chris from, from Runway ML views AI as the new camera. What does that mean? It means that 
art and creativity and movie making will be open now to a whole new set of people who wouldn't have been able to to create in the past. Number three, this means that it's time for us to rethink work and how we spend our time and also how we educate our kids to get comfortable with rapid accelerating change. That's all for this week on the Ask More of AI podcast. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on LinkedIn and X. Have a wonderful holiday with your loved ones. 